Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Philippians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. I want to thank everyone for coming on tonight to get a portion of God's word. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our risen Savior tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives and opening our eyes and saving us, Lord, from ourselves and our sins, Lord, and doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. We're so eternally grateful. I'd like to thank all the people who serve in the ministry, one body, for this to function properly. We need each other. It's great to see everybody. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study? And we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful day, Lord, and this awesome opportunity this evening, Lord, to gather together to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and place your name above all names, Lord, even our own, Father. As we all fight to put you first in our lives, Lord, thank you for your matchless grace and tender-hearted mercies, Lord, that begin afresh every morning, Lord. For without it, Lord, we would never be able to continue with walking with you and doing your will, Lord. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit as our comforter, confronter, teacher, and savior, Lord, to guide us and lead us in all truth, Lord. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, and thank you for the Trinity, Lord. As our Father watches over us, Jesus walks alongside of us, and the Holy Spirit lives within us, Lord. We're just so grateful that you give us this power, Lord to accomplish your will for our lives. Lord, help us to see you in everything, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you take all the bitterness out of our hearts, Lord, and all the bitterness out of the world, Lord, and fill it with your love, Lord, so we can get a taste of heaven down here, Lord, as we trust in you more and more each and every day. And as as always, Lord, let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. We're going to worship the Lord.
beautiful song that is, huh? What a beautiful way to usher in the spirit. Before we receive the message. How's everybody doing tonight, okay? Let's get a smile at everybody. We're all alive and breathing. Whatever went on today, God is good, right? He erases it all. It's all going to be better someday. Heaven is going to be our home. This isn't our permanent home. Thank God, right? Don't try to make it better here. Get prepared to go to our real home in heaven. Amen. Awesome. The Holy Spirit is going to be taken over as they go into the scriptures. So please prepare your hearts and clear your minds to receive the message that the Spirit is trying to save the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Try to put all your distractions aside and cares as the Word of God goes out and changes lives. All right, we're going to start in Mark chapter 7. Let's turn there. We are using the black Bibles in the pew, so please help yourself to it. He's got us in verse 5. We're going to back right up to the gist of this. Go to 1. <laughs> There's a very awesome scripture here. Great, great principle here. Talking about outward things that don't change you. It's what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. If you could admit that. Okay, we are in Mark chapter 7. Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus teaches about inner purity. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked them, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Before we go any further, you get many churches that do that today. Many man-made ideas as commands from God. They simply do not apply. Amen? There is no such thing as a denomination in the Bible to begin with. But a big amen for that. The Word of God is our denomination. In verse 8, 
For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, give us an example. Moses gave this, you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or money, mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so, you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, and this is only one example among many others. Jesus was trying to tell them, instead of taking care of your family and your parents, they said, ignore them and give all the money to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. That's what they said, and they were starving to death. Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Jesus, he, God is, is somebody who's supposed to help them people, not let them die. We come to church so we can help them. But they see that the traditions of men always take over that. Let's say, um, like I, I use this example sometimes. Say, um, you're coming to church and you see somebody stuck on the side of the road. And you say, well, you know, I, I'd like to help you, but I've got to go to Bible study. Do you think that that's what God would want you to do? Or would he want you to help them and then come to Bible study a little bit late? No, not, not come to Bible study, but come a little bit late because God put that in front of you to help them. Can I get any men for this? People get religious like that where they say, I can't, i got to go to Bible study. That's not what it's supposed to be like. Can I get any men for this? We understand that we're supposed to meet the needs of others out there, and then we come to church, we get equipped to do that work. Okay. Then verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. Now he's talking to us right now. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart but it passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what it does. <laughs> well, he was trying to say you can put food into your body, but that's not going to change what comes out of your heart. That's not going to change you. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Then he added, it what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit. Wow, he's going right through the gamut here. Lustful desires. Envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from with you in you. They are what defile you. So what Jesus is saying, what come, what's coming out of your mouth is really what's in your heart. Don't, when you say that I didn't mean it, you're only lying to yourself. You really did mean it because God put the pressure cooker on you to really show what's inside of you. 
You have to understand that. And when it does come out of you, is when you have to get repentant and say, wow, Lord, thank you for revealing what's in my heart. Can I get an amen for this? God is trying to show us, and he puts us in situations so we can really see what's in our hearts. You can come to church for your whole life and still leave here with anger, lust, deception, and all these things that are inside of you. If you don't renew your mind and change, that'll always, coming to church doesn't change you. Amen? It's what you actually applying the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit run your life is what changes you. Amen? Don't you wish you could come to Bible study, read the Bible, and when you leave here, be just like Jesus for the rest of your life? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But that's not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> that, was good. that was a good scripture there. But look at all this stuff. Look what he's saying. Now, I just want to go back and read this again. In verse 21, what's in your heart, right, come evil thoughts. Think about it. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, there with the fire. Don't you think that's why Jesus has to give us a new heart? That is what's in every human being's heart. Every one of us have this in their heart. And we have to admit it and accept it and repent of it and say, I need a new heart. I need a Savior. Jesus. Amen? And that's why we come here. Because Jesus saves us from what? Ourself. The very problem to begin with. All right, now let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Is everybody with me so far? Amen. Amen. Let the Spirit speak. So it's really important to check what comes out of our mouths as a maturing Christian. What goes on and comes out of our mouth is what we should be listening for. Not what's in somebody else's heart or what other people are doing. We should listen to what's coming out of our mouths because that's really what's going on inside of us. We can really fool ourselves. All right, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to just expand on Philippians before we get into it. How do you live as a Christian in a non-Christian world? Think about this now. How do you respond when those around you are hostile to your faith? Paul wrote this poignant letter to encourage the persecuted Christians of the church in Philippi and to strengthen them in the difficulties they faced. Paul wrote while in prison, he too was suffering for his faith. But he wrote with joy, demonstrating that a Christian can be passionate for Christ regardless of the circumstances. Amen? Okay. Joy in Christ. Philippians is unique, okay, among Paul's letters. For at least two reasons. One, it is virtually problem-free, lacking the disciplinary note tone of some of Paul's other letters, as he was correct in the other churches. And two, it is filled with joyful statements, even though Paul is chained in prison. Paul has learned that joy comes not as a result of external conditions, but from internal confidence that God is at work and in control. Big amen there, right? Being a good teacher, Paul not only exhorts the Philippians to rejoice always, he also exemplifies the very principle in it he is preaching. Now I want to give us an example, okay? 
A lady walks into downtown department store, okay? She seeks out the customer service counter, right, and announces, I don't want this item. Fine, responds the clerk. If you'll just give it to me, I'll be happy to help you find something else you do like. No, answers the lady. I don't want to give this up. Perhaps you are as confused as the sales clerk by now. But did you know that's how many Christians pray? Lord, I have a problem that I'm worried about. Fine, responds the Lord. Exchange those worries for my matchless peace. Oh no, I'd rather keep worrying. When we refuse to turn our worries over to God, we forfeit his peace. That's a good reason for you to make a worry list of the anxieties you're nursing right now and turn it into a prayer list. Then you too can enjoy God's peace. Philippians 4.7 Which is only possible by knowing the God of peace, which is the God of the Bible. Amen? A lot of us go to pray, but we still worry after we pray. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Be real with him and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace that exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as you live in Christ Jesus or by you live by God's word or the principles of the Bible. Amen? All right. Does anybody remember where we left off in Philippians 2? Let's see what kind of students we got here. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty close. 11. All right. 12. Okay. Let's just back up a little bit to keep the context. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Go look at verse 6. Though he was God, or being in the form of God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege, or he emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave, or the form of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So he's saying he humbled himself in obedience and listened to God and obeyed him fully, and he ended up on a cross being death killed. So you have to understand, we never know what God's going to do with us or where we're going to end up because we follow him. So just, just don't always think that, oh, I'm following God and doing the right thing. I'm going to get blessed and have a mansion. No, you might end up in prison or losing a job. You might end up somewhere you'd never ever thought you'd be. But he put you there for a reason. You get me, Memphis? You have to understand the principles of the Bible. People walk away from God all the time because they think he's a big genie. I'm coming to God. I want this. I want that. And if I don't get it, I'm going to walk away. And God says, I'm not going to stop you from walking away, but I'll be here when you come back. You have to understand that he didn't save us down here so we could have a good life. He saved us down here so we could have eternal life. Life without any problems in, inward no matter what's going on. He was in prison writing these principles. He was happy. He was singing. He actually saved one of the jailers. He was in stocks, in a cold prison, and in shackles, and he was singing praises to God. The prison guy came in and said, what is wrong with you? What? How do, what, what, how do you do it? And then he told him how he did it. 
and he ended up getting saved. Why? He showed something different. He showed Jesus. No matter what situation he was in. That's how we can show the unbelieving world that we belong to Jesus. When a situation comes up that the world handles a certain way, we handle it God's way instead. And people see that and say, wow, you are really being controlled by something else. The Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Believe me, the unbelieving world is watching every Christian when you walk out of these doors. Whenever you leave here and you tell people you're a Christian, they're watching and they're waiting for you to fail. They're looking for fault. And the devil is right there to catch you, to get you. So you have to understand that you have to live a certain way out there because people cannot see mature spirit. They can't see a mature spirit. They can only see what you do because of it. It's the fruit of your mature spirit that comes out of you when you're not in church. What you actually learned from coming here when you're out there. That's how you know if you're mature. Because people can't see Christian maturity. They can only hear it. In the way you live, in the way you act. Amen? Big amen there, right? If not, it's an ouch. Either way. We all need to be we all need correction, right? Can anybody honestly say everybody walked and, and talked like Jesus today? Okay. Thank you. We don't want to be one of them churches that, oh, I got it going on. No, we got, we're falling apart. That's why we're here. So Jesus can put us back together. Amen? When you're humble enough to admit that, then God can do something for you. Thank you. All right, look at verse 9. Therefore, by him obeying God all the way to death, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Big amen there, right? All right. Now listen up. I want to expand on these verses now. In verses 5 to 11, now listen up. Often, people excuse selfishness pride or evil by claiming their rights they think I can cheat on this test after all I deserve to pass this class or I can spend all this money on myself I worked hard for it or I can get an abortion I have the right to control my own body but as believers as believers we should have a different attitude one that enables us to lay aside our rights in order to serve others. If we say we follow Christ, we must also say we want to live as he lived. We should develop his attitude of humility as we serve, even when we're not likely to get recognition for our efforts. How about a big amen for that? Are you selfishly clinging to your rights, or are you willing to serve? At the last judgment, even those who are condemned will recognize Jesus' authority and right to rule. Okay? People can choose now to commit their lives to Jesus as Lord as a step of willing and loving commitment or be forced to acknowledge him as Lord when he returns. Christ may return at any moment. Are you prepared to meet him is the question. Are you ready for him when he comes? He could come at any time. Are you going to be ready? Yes, Jesus, I'm ready. I've been waiting for you. I've been living the way you should. Thank you, Jesus. Are you like this? 
Lord, I wish you would have gave me a couple more days to get ready for you. I've been serving myself for a little while. When I told, I made a promise that I was going to serve you. And a big amen there, right? Amen. Now, let's go to verse 12. How many of us? It says shine brightly for Christ. Don't we want to shine brightly for Christ? Isn't that something we really want to do? We really want to do it, right? But we can't do it in the flesh. Don't think that you can shine for Jesus in the flesh. It's impossible. Now listen. Dear friends, go to verse 12. You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Now it's saying, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. It says to work hard. Now, do I have to work hard to be saved? Or do I work hard because I am saved? Because you are saved. It says work hard to show the results of your salvation. What do you mean you're going to work hard? Because we have to work hard to put our selfish, selfish, self-centered attitudes aside when we're out there and when we're yelling and arguing with people and cussing and flipping out and doing all these things. We have to lay that aside. We have to tell us to work hard to do that. And we have to work hard because it is hard to do. We can't do it in the flesh. We have to go right to God and say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm submitting to you. I'm resisting the devil and he has to flee. I have to humbly admit that I can't change that. And then he can help you. Right? And it says to show the results. How do we show the results of our salvation? Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. To always obey what the word tells you to do and to have reverence and respect for God. Now, look at verse 13. For God is working in you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That's who's doing it. Giving you, listen to what he's saying here now, the desire, not only is he giving you a desire to, to um, work for him, but he's giving us the power to do what pleases him. Look at it, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Not you. Get it? Pleasing him and pleasing you are two opposites. When you're pleasing yourself, you can't please God. Because you're in a selfish state. Now, is everybody ready to hear verse 14? Is everybody ready to hear this? Are you ready to hear this? Because God's not going to hear tomorrow. Oh, I was complaining. I didn't know any better. Because I'm going to explain it. I'm going to say it loud. And I'm going to say it clear. So you don't have an excuse when you start griping and complaining. Can I get an amen for this? Amen. And don't think God's going to bless you when you are. When he's telling you do everything without doing that. <laughs> don't think coming to church is going to make up for that. It doesn't work that way. Verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Did everybody hear that? Okay, nobody's going to say I didn't hear that when they go out tomorrow and complain about something, right? I want you to remember that you heard that. I want that to resonate in your mind when you leave here and start complaining. You're going to hear 
do everything without complaining. I just heard Pastor's voice. The moment you start to complain, you can keep your mouth shut. Oop. Now, let's go on. Live. All right. Listen, now, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? Why do I got to do everything without complaining and arguing? Listen, why? So that no one can criticize you and say, yeah, you're supposed to be some good Christian, right? That's why they criticize us. Because we go out and do what the unbelieving world does all the time. We complain and we argue and the unbelieving world hears it and says, what's so different about you? Why do I got to go to church? We're all a bunch of hypocrites. Because we still do this. Are we not getting the message? It's times of getting dark out there. Everybody's complaining about everything out there. We should be singing and laughing and joyful in the situations out there. Then people are going to see, wow, i got to go to that church. I need some of that. Can I get an amen for this? Thank you. <laughs> By the way, this isn't me talking. This is God. The Holy Spirit is working through me, so... I'm not, if I, somebody throws a tomato at me, you're throwing it at God. Thank you. I can talk to us. All right, now listen up. Why? So no one can criticize you. It tells us to live clean. Listen to what the Bible tells you now. Don't say you don't understand this, because I'm going to make you understand what it's saying. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights, in a world full of crooked and perverse people. This was written over 2,000 years ago. Just imagine if it was crooked and perverse then, how much it's progressed now. We can shine more brightly than ever right now, the way the world is right now. It says, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Look what it says in verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. Everybody got their Bible in their hands? I want you to go like this. Hold firmly to that. That's what it's saying. The word of God. Hold firmly to what's being said. Hold firmly what's being taught. See it? To the word of life. And then on, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. What's the, what's the joy of a pastor? Watching people's lives change and actually doing God's will. The whole goal of the whole message. To see love in action. Now I'm going to go to verse 17 and we're going to expand. But I will rejoice. Listen to Paul. Boy, if I could just have a little taste of Paul. Though his heart, look what he says here. I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Or I will rejoice even if I am to be poured out as a liquid offering. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. You see, when you, have, when you do faithful service for God and nobody sees it, God sees it. You have to understand there's more of a reward waiting for you for people not seeing it here, but God seeing it. Don't try to get recognized. That's the worst thing you can do as a Christian. 
Because that's the wrong heart. When you want to get recognized for the good things you do, it's with the wrong spirit. It's a spirit of pride. The Bible says don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Then your Father in heaven who sees everything will reward you. He says if you want your reward down here, that's the only reward you'll ever get. Look at it says. Looks like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I, and I want all of you to share that joy. Now, let's expand. In verse 12, okay, it says to work hard to show the results of your salvation, okay? In light of preceding exhortation to unity may mean that the entire church was to work together to rid themselves of division and discord. The Philippian Christians needed to be especially careful to obey Christ. Now that Paul wasn't there to continually remind them about what was right, we too must be careful about what we believe and how we live, especially when we are on our own. In the absence of cherished Christian leaders, we must focus our attention and devotion even more on Christ so that we won't be sidetracked. In verse 13, what we do when we don't feel, what, what do we do when we don't feel like obeying? God has not left us alone in our struggles to do his will. He wants to come alongside us and be within us to help us. God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Can I get an amen for this? The secret to a changed life, listen now, the secret to a changed life is to submit to God's control and let him work. Next time, ask God to help you desire to do his will. To be like Christ, in verse 13, we must train ourselves to think like Christ. To change our desires to be more like Christ, we need the power of the indwelling spirit. The influence of faithful Christians, obedience to God's word, not just exposure to it, in sacrificial service. Often it is in doing God's will that we gain the desire to do it. Do what he wants and trust him to change your desires. You want God to do something for you? Pray that he changes your desires to his desires. He's the only one that can do it. Now, in verses 14 and 16, our lives, listen now, should be characterized by moral purity, patience, and peacefulness so that we will shine like bright lights in a dark and depraved world. A transformed life is an effective witness to the power of God's word. Are you shining brightly or are you clouded by complaining and arguing? I'm going to say it again. Are you shining brightly or are you clouded by complaining and arguing? Did anybody argue today? Did anybody complain today? Well, that, that clouds us. It clouds our ability to hear God's voice. Now, don't let dissension snuff out your light. Shine out for God. Your role is to shine until Jesus returns and bathes the world in his radiant glory. Amen to that, right? Okay. In verse 17, 
The drink offering was an important part of the sacrificial systems of the Jews. Okay, for an explanation. Because this church had little Jewish background, the liquid offering may refer to the wine poured out to pagan deities prior to important public events. Okay, Paul regarded his life as a sacrifice. Even if he had to die, Paul was content, knowing that he had helped the Philippians live for Christ. When you're totally committed to serving Christ, sacrificing to build the fate of others brings us a joyous reward. How about an amen for that? Okay. Let's go to verse 18 now. And verse 18 says, Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. In verse 19, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I love that, right? Lord willing. I say it all the time, Lord willing. I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare. Look, he only had like one person. One person on the side of him. Look what he says. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Verse 22. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Verse 23. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He was in prison. He might have been getting executed. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. So he was confident that God was going to get him out of it. Come to see you soon. Just imagine, he must have been like, Lord, enough of this prison stuff. Can I go? Really? He was human. Paul was human. He was a human being. He, just like me and you. But he knew God. He knew the risen Christ. And he knew that God was going to deliver him one way or another. And he'll deliver you too if you trust him. Now look at verse 25. Paul commends Epaphroditus. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he, that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So, do you remember back in Acts when the gentleman fell out the window? What did Paul go down there and do? He brought him back to life, right? Well, how come he couldn't do that for um, Epaphroditus? Because those were foundational gifts that as, as the, as, as the um, dispensation went forward he was no longer able to have that he didn't have that healing power that was only for what as a witness 
to Christ the Holy Spirit coming in him. He couldn't help him anymore. He couldn't help Timothy either. He told him to drink a little wine because his stomach was always bothering him. You understand how the... That's why people get stuck in the book of Acts thinking that you still have that healing power. No, that was just foundational. Moved on. Nobody could heal anybody after that. We go right to the Lord to heal. Amen. He's the healer. You have to understand the Bible. When you understand the Bible, you understand that those are just, those are just foundational gifts. The day of Pentecost. Or else he would have why didn't he, why didn't he heal them? He needed them. He couldn't. See what it says? It says, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. He didn't say, but I brought him back to life like I did my friend that fell out the window. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Look at verse 28. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. So do you see how the Bible is progressive? It's a progressive revelation of God. That's why when you read Genesis to Revelation, you get the full progressive revelation of God's plan. Okay. So And I am more anxious to send him back to you, verse 28. For I know that you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. And give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Imagine he risked his life for the work of Christ. Anybody that just makes a decision to turn their life over to God and serve Him. We should honor them highly because they, they gave up their life so you could benefit from it. Always remember them. Honor them with the highest esteem. Don't bad, don't bad mouth them or throw, diss them because those are God's servants. People that are serving the Lord faithfully, you should honor them and recognize them. Before we close, I just want to just talk about a couple of things here. In verse 21, Paul observed that most believers are too preoccupied with their own needs to spend time working for Christ. I'm going to say this again. Paul observed that most believers are too preoccupied with their own needs to spend time working for Christ. I observed that myself. Don't let your schedule and concerns crowd out your Christian service to the love for others. In verse 22, when Paul wrote these words, most vocational training was done by fathers and sons stayed loyal to the family businesses. Timothy displayed that the same loyalty in his spiritual apprenticeship with Paul. Timothy was with Paul in Rome when Paul wrote this letter. Okay? He traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey when the church of Philippi was begun. Okay? Just as a killed workman trains an apprentice, Paul was preparing Timothy to carry on the ministry in his absence. He got somebody ready for when he passed. You have to pass it on. That's why always my eyes are always open to look for people with spiritual leadership so I can train them up so when I'm gone, they can come and do the same, continue the work. Amen? God will send somebody. My antennas are up to find that person. They're very You know when you find them because they're just faithful to everything. They don't, they just don't, nothing comes in the way of God. They'll be. They, God will send them. Paul was preparing Timothy to carry on the ministry in his absence. Paul encouraged younger Christians to learn, to observe, to help, and then to lead. Paul expected older Christians to teach, to model, to mentor, and to turn over leadership. The benefits of such a process 
on new enthusiasm and vision, new methods and energy. Are you a teacher? Whom are you apprenticing for God's work? Are you a learner? How are you showing your eagerness to fulfill the call God has on your life? Paul was in prison, okay, either waiting his trial or verdict in verse 23 for preaching about Jesus Christ. Imagine he was preaching about Jesus. They're going to kill him. They told him never to preach about Jesus again. He could not do it. Look, when you're called by God, you cannot not do it, no matter what. He was telling the Philippians that when he learned of the court's decision, he would send Timothy to them with the, with the news, Paul wanted them to know that he was ready to accept whatever came. Amen? The world honors those who are intelligent. Listen to me now. Intelligent, beautiful, rich, and powerful. Christians do that too. They look for ministries that are rich, beautiful people, and powerful, and full of numbers, and they think they must be teaching truth. That's not true. That's not true. Listen now. What kind of people should the church honor? Paul indicates that we should honor those who give their lives for the sake of Christ. Going where we cannot go ourselves. Our missionaries do that for us today by providing ministry where we are not able to go. Listen, I go to work up in Gloucester. I'm on a missionary journey over there. When you get up in the morning, you've got a missionary journey. Wherever you go is your missionary journey. Don't think that you have to go overseas to be on a mission. Our missionary journey is right here in front of us each and every day. God sends you on a mission to bring others into the kingdom. Are you running away from the mission? Are you staying there waiting with your antennas up, saying, Who's, use me, Lord, instead of we running away from the people that God wants us to save, like Jonah did. Remember, God said, I want you to go tell the Ninevites. They're going to get judged if they don't turn. He said, I'm not going to help them. I hate them. I'm not telling them. Don't be like that. If God sends you with somebody that's like that, he wants you to get them to Jesus. It's important. All right, we're going to close there. Thank you for letting me share that. David, you want to come up and close in prayer? Then we're going to sing a song. We can bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for allowing us to hear another portion of your word, Lord. Lord, without you, we are weak. We stumble, we fall, Lord. In our humility, Lord, as your servants, I pray that we may grow spiritually. We may grow in the wisdom and understanding of your will for us, Lord, and that we may continue to submit to it, Lord. Lord, help us to continually read your word. Help us to grow and understand it better, Lord. And Lord, help us to love each other. Help us to love those who are out there. Help us to love the unlovable, Lord, for they were just like us and we were just like them, Lord. But out of your patience and your mercy, you chose us. And so, Lord, as we wait upon your will, Lord, and we learn more and more about you, let us be a beacon of light to all those who are out there in the world, Lord. Let us put burning coals on the heads of those and let us bring them all back to Christ. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, David. All right, we're going to stand, do a song, and close.